Welcome to Stuck in Misery, the premier Midwest sports talk podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by James West and Sam Renshin. Fellas, how are we doing tonight? What up? What up? We're doing good. good. How are you? Before we get too far into it, we have a five-star review that we need to read here on tonight's show. And this comes really? from, yes, five-star review. So if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts on Stuck in Misery, we will read it on the show. This comes from Joey Coldcuts. And this review is incredible, guys. I'm going to read this right now. The title of the review is Life-Changing Pod. Joey writes, I was in the midst of a crisis, about to leave my wife and job, pack up the old PT Cruiser, and leave this city in the rear view. After relentlessly swiping on Tinder for hours on end, I decided to close out of the app and switch to something way more productive and satisfying, Bumble. In the process of doing so, I accidentally stumbled upon this podcast in the app store, and let me tell you, my life has changed for the better. Now, my life is pretty sweet, and that's all thanks to Mark and the boys. So that comes from Joey Coldcuts. It's an incredible review. I hope he's doing all right out there, you know. It's pretty sad he has to turn to us to get inspiration. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, Joey, thank you. Thank you to Joey for that. On today's show, fellas, the Big Ten released its football schedule for the 2020 season. And I want to get your thoughts on the release of the schedule. But I want to say this before I turn this over to you guys. Initially, I was kind of skeptical of, okay, why can't an Iowa and an Iowa State play? They're still within the same state. I really don't think the all-conference play really has much to do with player safety as much as that it does of there's now great flexibility in how they've built this schedule with the inevitable problems that colleges will have with coronavirus. But because there are some opening weeks, each team has two buys. I'm starting to warm to this idea of the plan. James, what was your first impression when you first saw the release of the schedule earlier today? First reaction was good for them for getting a schedule out. I feel like the Big Ten has honestly, when you look at all the Power Five conferences, they've been the first conference to act as far as announcing that they're going to play in only in-conference schedule. And now they're the first ones to release that schedule. So, I mean, honestly, kudos to the Big Ten for honestly stepping up. And I think you could say leading by example in the NCAA. Yeah, I mean, I would say when a schedule gets released, you know, there's always a buildup, and especially for NFL, you know, it's like a three-hour special on ESPN. But you always look at week one, right? And it's like I'm looking at these matchups, and it's like, dude, I can't get excited for any of them, you know? We want, like, that intention-grabbing matchup that you're, like, looking forward to on primetime. Everyone's going to be back and fired up. I just don't see one that I'm like, eh, that's great. You know, maybe Michigan State, Minnesota could be good. They both had success a little bit last year. Michigan State ended the season well, at least. Minnesota had a good season. You know, Illinois, Ohio State, Illinois, you know, they, they always have a decent upset in the beginning of the year. So maybe this could be the game. But yeah, I mean, it's just not too enticing. But nonetheless, I'm happy that they got out there and got the schedule released. Sam, I agree with you. I was looking at this and I was thinking, okay, maybe Penn State Northwestern in that week one setup. But most of these games, I think if they go according to chalk, which I think they will, was surprising to me. The one thing that really is on everyone's minds is Ohio State Michigan is going to be on October 24th, not in the final week of the season. And that was really the big question I have was, why wasn't this game scheduled first for that final weekend of the season, and then you can work backwards. 
And so that was a big takeaway that I had was really the timing of that Ohio State-Michigan game, one of college football's great rivalries and really one of the great rivalries in all of sports. But then just taking a deeper look at the schedule, I look at a team like Wisconsin. Wisconsin doesn't play Penn State or Ohio State. So if the Badgers don't get back to the Big Ten championship game, it would kind of be a disaster of a season for Wisconsin because they're avoiding the conference's two best opponents this season. And so I had my eye on that. Michigan has a really tough schedule because you've got Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Northwestern. So Jim Harbaugh, can he get over the hump finally and knock off Ohio State? That's why he was brought in for that position with the Wolverines. And you take a look at what he makes each year in terms of his salary. He's up there with the likes of a Dabo Sweeney, a Nick Saban. And when it comes to production, you can't warrant that high salary that he garners year in and year out. And he has not been able to get the Wolverines over the hump in winning that game against Ohio State. He literally has one goal, literally to beat Ohio State every year. I mean, he's placed top 10 the past couple of years, but no one remembers that. They just remember that, that trouncing that they get beat every year, you know, at the hands of Ohio State. And let me tell you, I was at the Ohio State-Michigan game in Columbus two years ago. I didn't go to the game, but I went to a tailgate. And there's nothing quite like it in all sports. I'm talking like just pure, just blind fandom that these Ohio State and Michigan fans, just hatred towards both of the, these people. It's just it's absurd. You know, you say anything, you know, against their team and they're, they're coming at you, coming at your neck. And I mean, it's just a great atmosphere. And I was starting to think like why they place it in middle season. Maybe it just added flexibility as far as, you know, if it were to get canceled, they can move it later on in, in the year instead of having it canceled the very end of the year, there's less of an option to move it. Um, that's what I can think of. First of all, whoever's phone goes off every single time on this pod, please mute it. That's my, I don't know how to do that. You, you hit the silence button. <laughs> you turn it on vibrate. What are you talking about? No, it's not my phone. It's not my phone. It's my computer. James, go ahead. <laughs> we look at the Michigan schedule and, you know, they play Minnesota, Penn State, and Ohio State. Plus they play Wisconsin. Like they really have this tough schedule, but when you look at Ohio State, like you said, Mark, there's no Wisconsin matchup. I honestly kind of feel it's like they came out with the schedule and they pretty much positioned it to put Ohio State and Wisconsin in the college football playoff because they don't have because Wisconsin in, have to in the Big Ten now. Championship. No, I mean, I mean, they're positioning both these teams to be to be college football playoff contenders. I was just kind of surprised that Wisconsin only is playing Michigan, but I guess too, it's like the cross conference matchups and so you aren't going to get everybody i think you can probably make these same types of arguments when acc and when the sec schedules come out as well but i don't know i to me it just looks like wisconsin like you said mark wisconsin has a cakewalk to the big 10 championship and honestly like really what it comes down to is like can anyone upset ohio state like but i guess that's sort of the big 10 every single year james to that point i think it's going to be really interesting to see if these Big Ten teams try to schedule an out-of-conference game because they have that opening in their schedule. Each team has two mm-hmm. bye weeks, but or are they going to use that because, okay, if we need to postpone a game, we now have this future date to be able to do that if one school has an outbreak and they need to postpone or maybe even outright cancel a game. And so that's where I think, again, I was really critical of, okay, why can't Iowa and Iowa State play? 
Why can't Clemson and South Carolina play? Why can't Florida, Florida State play? To me, it's not really about the safety of, okay, hopping on a bus and playing your in-state rival that's out of conference. It's more so with the schedule flexibility. Once you actually see this on paper, it makes a lot more sense. James, to your point about playing all conference games, the, the Big 12 is going to have nine conference games, one out of conference game. The ACC will have 10 and one. The SEC will have all 10 conference games. The Big 10 has 10 conference games and the Pac-12 will have 10 conference games. For the top dogs, this is going to be a gauntlet. This is going to be an absolute gauntlet because you're not going to have those cupcake out of conference games anymore. And so to me, I'm thinking of this from the standpoint of, could this be the first year that we see a team get into the college football playoff that's a three-loss team because you're playing all conference matchups, all pretty formidable opponents when you look at things from a big picture. Yeah, and, and so, Mark, to that point, too, I think that's why, and one of the things that I kind of think as far as the season goes, particularly with the Big Ten, is I think a lot of your storylines aren't going to be your contenders. They're going to be kind of those mid-tier teams. Can a team like Nebraska take a step forward under Scott Frost this year? Can a team like Minnesota reproduce with some of the success that they had last year? Because hypothetically speaking, if both those things happen, I mean, then, then this season is going to get much more interesting because then you're going to have a team like Ohio State that might have to play a formidable Nebraska this year, or you might get Wisconsin matching up against another really good Minnesota team. So for me, I think a lot of the storylines are going to revolve around some of these mid-tier teams and whether or not they can take a step forward this year. Let's be real. I don't think the scheduling is going to change much as far as who's going to end up at the top at the end of the year. I think it's always going to be the top one or two team from the SEC or the top, whoever wins the Big Ten championship, whoever wins Big 12, ACC. I think probably the Pac-12 probably is not strong enough to have a team up there this year. I think... We'll just might have these guys have like maybe one, two, maybe three losses instead of being undefeated or having one loss. I think like Bergen, like you said, you know, they're, they're going to beat each other up, but I think still it's going to be the same landscape in the college football playoff as we are used to seeing. Well, it's always Ohio state and everyone else in the big 10. I'm curious to see, okay, how does Ohio state rebound with Justin Fields, who's going to be one of the top picks in the next year's draft, but also Ohio State team without J.K. Dobbins, who's off to the NFL now too. So what does that offense look like there? Are they able to be the top dogs in the Big Ten, which they are year in and year out? And really, when you're talking about a national landscape of things, at least when it comes to the gridiron, it's Ohio State and everyone else in this conference. Yeah, I mean, you got like Wisconsin – trying to make a run for it every now and then, but they always lose like a heartbreaking loss in the end of the season, just inevitably. Michigan, I, I, I would like to see them beat Ohio State this year just for a little bit of change, but I don't know if I see that happening. I mean, Minnesota's fun to watch. Sam, you said that you were not so optimistic about the opening week. I agree with you. In terms of the final week of the season, is there a matchup you like there where it's like, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be the last week of the year. A lot could be on the line. Is there a matchup that you like there? I think you got to go with Ohio State-Iowa. If Iowa's good this year, I mean, that's the best chance. I mean, or you could say, hey, I'm pretty, pretty positive that Purdue and Indiana are going to both be 500. 
So that could be the closest game, you know, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's, it's similar to the week one where nothing grabs your attention, but you never know how the season will play out. And, you know, I'm sure some of these games will look better down the road. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I look at the last week of the season and, you know, Nebraska, Michigan state, I don't know that has some intrigue, but I feel like that's mostly because of nostalgia more than anything. They both used to be really good teams that are now struggling. I would hope both of them can take a step forward this year. But to me, we look at like the final week, like, you get kind of the the Purdue Indiana rivalry, that in state rivalry. It's kind of going to be like the best game you get as far as the storyline goes. Neither team is really that great. I want to offer my apologies in advance to any of the Rutgers fans listening. No love for Rutgers on this podcast here tonight on Stuck in Misery, but I want to go back to the flexibility of the schedule. So the Big Ten title game is scheduled for December the 5th at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Now, that could be moved as late as December 19th as well, just depending on what happens, what the world looks like with this ongoing pandemic. So, James, like you said, that's where, you know, I've got to give kudos to the Big Ten for being able to get this schedule out. So let's take this outside the Big Ten and look at this from a bigger picture standpoint. We kind of outlined earlier what the different conference formats are. Who do you think the all-conference format ultimately benefits? James, I'll start with you. I'm going to come out and say it benefits Oklahoma. It benefits Clemson. In my mind, those are really the the two teams that are front runners as far as national championships go that, that this thing benefits because it's kind of, they're kind of, what we would consider to be one team conferences. You know, they're the guys that end up making it out every single year. That said, with Notre Dame now playing a full ACC schedule, I think it adds a little bit of depth to the ACC. I think North Carolina taking a step forward last year, you know, hopefully they can take another step forward this year. I think that that's a a program that was really kind of like a a non-factor, like they're not a traditional football school that are now hopefully kind of moving up to the mid-tier and just adding a little bit more depth to the conference. But no, honestly, I'm I'm really excited to see what Notre Dame can do in the ACC. So yeah, I I would disagree with you on that. I think it benefits like a team like Mississippi State or Auburn, who, you know, now, yeah, their schedule got a little tougher, but it opens up the route, some wiggle room. So if like a Bama ends up with a two or three losses or – say LSU, you know, this typical powerhouse of SEC and Mississippi ends up overachieving or Auburn who ends up having a really good year, but that one or two game loss to Alabama or LSU doesn't ultimately bite them when they're trying to get a bid for the playoff. They could end up being in with the two or three losses instead of like other years where they lose one game to Alabama, they're done. I genuinely believe that this could be the first year we see a three-loss team get into the college football playoff. James, I want to go back to what you were saying about Clemson being the top dog in the ACC. A lot like how there's a discrepancy between, okay, the SEC West is clearly better than the SEC East traditionally. That same discrepancy exists in the ACC. The ACC Atlantic, which has Clemson, versus the ACC Coastal, where it's like Clemson's playing a conference championship game against Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's like 500. And so hopefully there's a little bit more parity with this all conference format, because we're going to see teams that 
might not necessarily play every single season from different divisions in the conference get paired up with one another now again because you don't have those out-of-conference cupcake games anymore. I think Notre Dame is a tremendous addition to the ACC just because it's been Clemson and then everyone else. I know Syracuse has played Clemson tough every few years, but really since Lamar Jackson left Louisville, who's been the top dog in the ACC other than Clemson? And it's like every single year, it's just like it's a random team, and they're not even on the same level as Clemson. It's not even close. And Jimbo leaving FSU further added to kind of like that void of competition. But, no, I mean, honestly, this is going to be a one-year thing for Notre Dame being within the ACC. And I think it's good for the ACC, and I think it's good for Notre Dame. It allows them to compete this year, unlike UConn, who's another independent school this year they canceled their football season but hopefully with Notre Dame joining the ACC you'll kind of get some of those old school rivalries with Miami and Notre Dame and hopefully we'll get a Clemson Notre Dame regular season game so I mean there's some potentially exciting matchups that can happen in the ACC this year and I'm really excited to see their schedule come out as well talking power five conferences now running conferences really that stand to lose out to me the losers would be any of the non-Power 5 schools, and I hear this all the time living in the state of Florida of, is the University of Central Florida actually legit if they run the table in their conference, the AAC, not the ACC, the AAC. If you're not in the Power 5 this year, you could run the table, but because you're not playing any out-of-conference foes in the Power 5 that validate your case of, okay, if a non-Power 5 runs the table, I didn't even think that they're even considered for the college football playoffs. So to me, that's the immediate loser. I mean, the Pac-12 has been down the last several years. Really, to me, it's like, so you've got SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12. I think your college football playoff is going to come from those four conferences. Oh, yeah, agreed. We, we kind of touched on that earlier. I, I think – the SEC benefits from this. Pac-12 probably loses from this. You know, and then Big 12, Big 10, ACC, I think they'll probably be around the same as previous years. You know, normally you see an SEC team as the one or two seed in the college football playoff. I think this year you'll probably see the SEC as like that third seed or fourth seed. I just don't know if any of these teams are going to in the SEC are going to run the table. Let's be honest. The seeding partially, really but partially because, like, let's think about it. LSU lost a ton of players to the draft. Same thing with Alabama. They lost Tua. So it's like, you know, your traditional powerhouse teams lost key playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, quarterbacks. So, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see, to kind of see what happens this year in the SEC. I'm really excited for it. You sound excited. But, uh, you know, you just got to wait and see. I, I want to see these schedules before I start, before we can really start to, to really make a decision on who's going to make it to the college football playoff. And it's kind of like how we saw with the Big Ten, too, of, okay, Wisconsin's got a really favorable path to the Big Ten championship game. What team is that going to be in the SEC? Is there going to be an ACC team or a Big 12 team where it's like, wait a second, I'm looking at this from an SEC standpoint, right? Which team is going to get more teams more teams against the East opponents versus the West, which, okay, the only really bad team in the SEC West year in, year out is Arkansas. So that's kind of how I look at this in terms of 
what are the matchups going to be? Because if you have one or two games, and that could really be all the difference, that have more favorable matchups compared to another team that might be just as good as you, but they have a more difficult schedule, there's no perfect way to do this. No, there isn't. And so, you know, I mean, like, it's like, kind of like we, what we've been heading on. It really comes down to the schedule to see who, who's going to have that favorable route. But also, too, when you think about scheduling, another important factor is there, there are quite a few new coaches in the SEC this year. And I think the consensus among all SEC fans is that this year is going to be much more difficult than, than previous because you have two added conference games on top of that. And so it's like, is this also kind of a, a blessing in disguise for some of these coaches as well? Because are they going to have an excuse and kind of a gimme year to get recruiting to instill their, their offensive and defensive philosophies without kind of getting under the gauntlet of winning wins and losses. So, I mean, it, that'll be, I mean, that's kind of one of my things as, as a Mizzou fan, you know, for the three of us graduates of, of Mizzou, you got to think about Drinkwitz, right? Like, is he going to get a pass this year if Missouri doesn't have that great of a record? Well, James, I think uh, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit there. I was going to say, we were talking a lot about how this is on a, on a national level, but let's more talk about how it is on a local level. And that brings us to Mizzou. And I think we were texting about this earlier this week, kind of about how I think this could be a historically bad season for Mizzou. A lot of moving pieces, not much coming back. I mean, a lot of positions to fill. And James, like you said, you know, a new coach, new system, new quarterback, and really lack of reps, lack of familiarity in, in li- with limited training camp. And most importantly, like we said, the SEC schedule is going to be way tougher than having those, you know, tune-up games or those, you know, those fill-in non-conference games. But I think you make a good point where I think the expectations are already very low. So I guess you could spin it around and say, you know, this is a clearly a building year for Drinkwitz. And I, I think he's going to do a great job. I think we all need to have our expectations very low with all the moving parts. But what about some of these coaches like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss or Mike Leach at Mississippi State? Are these guys not in the same situation? Are they going to have that pass or, or are they going to kind of face that harsh criticism? I'll say this with both of those guys, to me, they're a little bit more of a known commodity in the sense that there's going to be a floor to how bad those teams can be because of both Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach's track record as a head coach. We don't really know with Drinkwitch. Right. So, but at the same time, we know what their floor is going to be. We also know what their ceilings are as head coaches. So, Look, there's a reason why those guys were at the programs that they were before they moved to the SEC. With Drinkwitz, we don't really know because he's not a known commodity like either of those other coaches are. So to me, it's what are their track records before where they've been at at programs before? Both, again, Kiffin and Leach have had success at their respective programs at the same time, there's been a ceiling to their success. It's not like they were winning national championships. Look, at the end of the day, we can argue till we're blue in the face. The SEC has come down to whether or not you can beat Nick Saban in the Alabama Crimson Tide. And think about all of the coaches that have lost their jobs as a result of trying to do that year in and year out. Ed Ogeron and LSU is finally, finally able to get over the hump last year. But think about a team like Auburn with Gus Malzahn, where it's this like on again, off again girlfriend that you have, where things are going great 
and you're head over heels. You can't ever imagine being in a relationship with any other girl. Yet then there are other times where she makes you want to pull your hair out and you're like, the grass would be way greener if I were single or with someone else. And so it's like whatever situation that you're in with the coach like Gus Mel's on, this happens every year with Auburn. As soon as Auburn thinks that they have it figured out and it's going to be their season to reign supreme, it's like, okay, we can go to the mountaintop and go play in the national championship game against Florida State several years ago. We can beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, yet we can't win games that we should trying to be a top 10 team every single season. And it's the perfect example of how competitive the SEC is. The Auburn fans are either over the moon with him as a head coach. And again, it's like that super hot girlfriend that you couldn't imagine being with anyone else. Or it's why do I put up with this day after day after day and year after year after year? To me, that's the perfect analogy. Do you uh, speak from experience, Mark? Absolutely. (laughs) We didn't cover one big elephant in the room. And we've been talking a lot about how the scheduling is going to be important to determine who might have the easiest path to get to the national championship. But I think the big question, at least for me, is do we even think that there's going to be a national championship? Because unlike the MLB and unlike the NFL and unlike the NBA and unlike all the other professional sports, the NCAA has no central decision makers. And we've seen this like with the conferences that, we were, that we've just been discussing during this entire podcast today, every, everyone's kind of steering their own boat. Everyone's doing their own thing. And when you look at Major League Baseball and some of the difficulties that they're experiencing, just from not being in a bubble, what's going to happen when football starts up again? And what hap- what's going to happen when other fall sports start up again? And what's going to happen more importantly when these guys are in the classroom with the rest of their student body not social distancing, not isolating, not what's doing what's best for their health and for the season, but just being a student athlete. I think it raises a big question mark on whether or not the season will actually be able to be finished. I want to backtrack something. Going to class and everything, that's fine and all. What about on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights? Like, guys, we were in college at one point. We know what goes on. Are student athletes going to really be choir boys? In all honesty, like, do you sincerely believe that, that they're not going to be going out trying to chase girls? Because that, look, on a college campus, you're a young guy, that, that's inevitable. And so what that looks like, I don't know. At the same time, James, my flip side would be this. I say this all the time, follow the green. There's so much money at stake for these universities it's not just the television dollars, but it's how those television dollars come back to the universities, how the football program and the basketball programs too, which is an entirely separate debate, but those are your two money-making sports at a college level. All other college sports by and large don't make money and don't generate revenue or profit for universities. So with that branding opportunity that exists with football being played, That is such an enormous sacrifice. That's not to underscore the importance and the dangers that can be associated with the pandemic right now, but it is a factor that these schools must consider in their decision-making with all of this. I mean, (laughs) 
I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, seriously, what do you, in one aspect, it's like, like there's people are bound to get test positive. And I feel like there's gotta be some sort of, like you said, flexibility, some sort of like plan in place when inevitably a team comes down with COVID. We saw within the MLB, I mean, it's almost like they weren't prepared at all because there, there was no bubble in place. I mean, naturally people are going to get test positive as people go about their lives. But like Bergen said too, there's so much at stake that if somehow they can get these teams to really you know, lock in for two and a half months, it is a more condensed season, you know, maybe have them all make, take virtual classes online or really minimize the risk of, the athletes to get COVID. I think this goes hand in hand with not just the athletic program, but with the university as well. In like, there is so much at stake that at this point, I think there, I would take the odds saying that, yes, there's going to be a national championship. I don't know how, but I think there is. Going I to think be. there will be too, just because of the money at stake at the same time. And we've talked about this too, and this is an entirely separate debate, but it's something to consider with all of this if you're going to hold student athletes to a different standard as the rest of the students, I do think we, regardless of what the NCAA decides, regardless of how each conference decides to take protocols and conduct its games, that's wrong. That's wrong. So to hold the student athletes to a higher standard than any other student, I will say this, and this is something that the SEC has done, and I'm not sure about the other conferences, but I know that the SEC has done this. If there is a student athlete who does not feel comfortable or safe playing, he or she can say, I'm not comfortable playing. I'm going to opt out of this upcoming season. And that player, that student athlete will not lose his or her scholarship. If every other conference hasn't adopted that, I would highly recommend that they do. So they're not forcing anyone to play against their will. James, what do you think? Do you think a national championship happens? I 100% want there to be a national championship. I love college football. That is my favorite sport to watch and to follow. So just so you know where my loyalties lie, I, I sincerely hope that we are able to conduct a full college football season. But at the same time, I look at what happened with the Miami Marlins. You then factor in all of the different guidelines and rules that these different conferences are going to have and the different standards that they're going to hold themselves to. And what I think about with some of this is, is that some teams are really going to struggle and other teams are not going to have that big of a problem. And when all of that gets factored in together, like what's to prevent the ACC from canceling the season, but the big 12 powering through. And then, you know, it's gonna, that's going to affect the entire NCAA as a whole on who's going to be in the playoff and who's not, you know, and that's just, that's an extreme example, but, Based off of the standards, it's not like Major League Baseball. It's not like the NFL. It's not the NBA where everyone is playing under one set of rules where we are going to finish the season no matter what. For all we know, one of these Power Five conferences could have a case of outbreaks because one team didn't notify the other teams that they're playing that they had cases and that spreads to other teams, which spreads to other teams. And all of a sudden, you have a massive amount of players and one conference all sick and they're forced to cancel. That's a great I mean, point in the sense that it could domino. We saw the University of Connecticut cancel its football season just today. And so what if there was a, a big time power five conference team that decided to do that? 
if they have a very rampant outbreak on campus. And again, now we're getting into hypotheticals of we really don't know until we get to that point. I will say this though too, and this was one of my big arguments against moving from a fall college football season to a spring college football season, is we do not definitively know that the circumstances are going to be better come the springtime than they are right now. We really don't know until you either have a vaccine or you have herd immunity. And we don't know exactly when that point's going to be because we've seen this happen where the information and how the reaction is to this pandemic can change, not only on a day-to-day basis, but on an hour-to-hour basis. And so we'll see what happens. James, you're right too. I think we all hope that there is a college football playoff, but hope isn't a strategy. So again, you know by and large that a lot of these student athletes, if they do get it, when inevitably they do test positive at some point in time, by and large, they're going to be okay as you know, teenagers into their early 20s. But again, it's that spreading of, okay, who are you around? Are you around faculty and staff and coaches and parents and family or friends that could be compromised by you having the virus and spreading it to others? One last point on this, guys, is that as far as I'm aware to these NCAA teams, specifically the football teams, don't have the luxury of the expanded rosters that we've seen with them, with some of these professional sports. And also too, when you think about collegiate athletics, the drop-off in talent or experience from the starter to the backup can be significant. And that can be a big determination on the outcome of a game. For example, starting quarterback in, in the NCAA getting sick, his backup might be a freshman who has zero experience that going into a game is going to be a lot different than, for example, some of these teams that have formidable backups in the NFL. I think about thinking about Ravens, Jackson and RG3, or, you know, you think about Drew Brees had Teddy Bridgewater last year, you know, where these guys have solid backups. You think about the quarterback battle that's happening with the Bears right now. I I think that there's definitely going to be a a much more significant drop-off of talent think about, you know, if some of these players do get sick at the collegiate level versus, you know, when you factor that in and the expanded rosters and the NFL as well. The whole purpose of today's podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is that James West has zero, a goose egg confidence in Jameis Winston's ability to back up Drew Brees for the New Orleans Saints in the 2020 season. We could call it a wrap, fellas. Do you have any last thoughts before we wrap up today's show? Something to look out for next week. August 13th, MLS is finally announcing the St. Louis soccer team. team okay. Name. Okay. So, you know, going to be the stars, fact, isn't it? That's my hunch. There's numerous clues that I think it's going to be the St. Louis stars, but I would like to see what you guys think, you know, send us your thoughts, what you're hoping for, what you think it's going to be. And uh, we can discuss on the next show. So okay. yeah, you know, I give this St. Louis soccer team about five years before they move to LA to share a stadium with the Galaxy. All right, fellas, this was fun for Sam Renchen and James West. I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to Stuck in Misery. We're everywhere, so wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, please rate, review, and subscribe. Sports are back. Enjoy it. Take care. So long, everyone, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>